Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Old Souls Football Podcast. On this episode, Stephen and I are going to dive into the 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. We go over everybody's resumes and talk about some potential snubs. We hope you enjoy the episode. Stephen, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Awesome, awesome Super Bowl. I'm, I, I don't know where I'd rank it in terms of where it would finish in terms of like you know how i guess how i would rank it in terms of top super bowls that i've seen yeah but i really enjoyed it i thought it was a really well played game um san francisco didn't really execute towards the end and then i think mm-hmm. we really saw the greatness of patrick mahomes and yeah. that was special i always enjoyed that yeah it's it is cool when the um the world's greatest athletes do rise to the occasion like that i i always do enjoy i enjoyed it too i thought it was really hard hitting um i thought it was um it was there was a lot of caution being played i think for a long time uh which is kind of unusual for two teams that have been there before uh, especially Kansas City. A lot of Super Bowls are like that, though, where it's like a kind of a chess match where yeah, these guys are like going back first. and forth. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think San Francisco, they the mistake they made was I almost felt like they got a little tentative in the first half, I think, after yeah. the McCaffrey fumble. Like, that first drive, they looked like the, best, the better team. Easily. Oh, yes. And then he fumbles. Chiefs don't do really anything with the ball in the first half. But no, you know, I even remember saying I was at my uncle's house and I remember saying uh that that first half was starting to remind me of the Kansas City Tampa Bay Super Bowl. Like the the amount of pressure that like Mahomes like was really under a lot of duress throughout most of that first half. They were hitting him. Um the they had the run game snuffed out and the run game had gotten Kansas City to the Super Bowl. Uh, it was really the only problem was you didn't have Tom Brady on the other side. Oh, I think who had three touchdowns in that uh, that Super Bowl in that first half. So um, the, the only the only problem I had with it, I don't know if you and and yes, we're called the Old Souls Podcast, but we're not that old. But yeah. my God, was that long? I know it went to, I know it played the length of the overtime period that I only found out the rules to the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um I the commercials like the game used to start at 5:18. Now it doesn't start till 5:45. Um halftime yeah. seemed way longer. I remember uh watching the halftime show like the studio guys talking uh, I went and got food, came back out to the kid or out to the front room, and they were just beginning the Usher show. And I was like, oh my God. Like really, we're just starting that now. I I just thought it was way too long. Yeah. Um and it's hard, like, especially like with the next day being a work day, a school day. Um I think they gotta do something. Like either like Whoever, whoever can make uh, RFK should have put in that uh, uh, that ad he had that mimicked his uncle's ad from 1960. He should have put in there that I'll make 
the day after the Super Bowl national holiday, he would have gotten a few more votes. <laughs> yeah, that was a bizarre. Ad. That was like, really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I almost felt like we were like in a utopian world. Oh, but, that's what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, we're but, not like, you know, thankfully we're not a political podcast. But no. I think overall it was a really good Super Bowl. And we've had, I guess the last three have been really good. Because Rams, Bengals. Yeah. That was a great game. That was last year was game. awesome. Chiefs, yeah. Eagles, and then this year. I mean, we haven't really in the, the only in the last four years or five years we've only had one bad Super Bowl, and that was with the mm-hmm. Chiefs and the Bucks, where Tampa Bay just smacked Kansas City in the mouth. Yeah, but you know we've been pretty fortunate because if you go back in history, there's a lot of Super Bowls that have been blowouts, and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, and, we thankfully uh, missed uh, th- those days. Yeah, the only thing that kind of that I I think like the thing that I noticed about Sundays, like I get it, people are really you know I don't want to talk about Taylor Swift or anything, but like yeah, people get annoyed by that. I get it, and they find the Chiefs nauseating. I can get that point of view, but the people that told me like, well, Spags should be the MVP. Number one, Steve Spagnolo, not a player. Yeah. Number two, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. Did you not watch that drive? That's one of the yeah. greatest drives in Super Bowl history. You're down three in overtime. Mm. You walk down the field against the league's, what I guess, number two defense. Yeah. And score a touchdown. And you don't blink. You convert a fourth down. Everything he did in that moment is like, when you're in the backyard as a kid growing up thinking of playing quarterback, that's the yeah, drive. That's what you want. He, he did beat it. two top 10 DVOA teams of all time. Yeah. On the way to the and, Super Bowl. And the I think in my last takeaway before we go into our, our topic matter is my number one takeaway from that game is the NFL really screwed up in the fact that the Chiefs weren't even that good this year. And they won it anyway. I know. I know. So I could, I mean, I think they can make it back next year. They got some things to fix. Like, I don't think they're explosive enough, but hell, I guess they are. That's, they just won the Super Bowl. A, that's the scary thing because yeah. the, the fact that they can fix it, you know, when you have a Hall of Fame, a, a, a bona fide Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's yeah. only 28, you're going to be good for a long time. And speaking of Hall of Fame, Another reason why this is such a big week in the NFL or it was that was such a big week is the hall of fame induction that happens on the Thursday night Um, and the hall of fame induction, just so you guys understand that are listening is kind of like the, um, like some like podcasts might like live for the draft or the combine or some drafts or podcasts might live for the, the super bowl. Like they want to be on radio row or whatever. Yeah. All good things. But me and Steven, like our goal is like we would love to have a live show one day from Canton, Ohio during the Hall of Fame induction because we love the idea of that's what this podcast is about is showing love to the great of the greats in the NFL um, down through the years. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, what's kind of cool about this class is it covers – you know, different eras. There's, you know, a player from the 70s, the 80s. You know, there was a snub of or a coach, Buddy Parker, that, you know, he's from the 1950s. Uh, 
you know, he didn't get in, but we'll talk about him. But that's the cool thing about, I think, this podcast and what we're trying to do is it gives you a better understanding of the nation's number one sport. And when you're talking ball with your friends, you know, you should be able like I get so tired of hearing, is this guy the goat? Like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. They're already calling the. I I hate those debates. First of all, because I think yeah. every player has their own merit and should be admired for that. And I think you, you almost diminish the accomplishments of great players because, well, he only won one Super Bowl. Well, that that's an incredible accomplishment, and it's almost downplayed. But yeah. Not to get too off topic, but the point is like they're already having that debate because they saw Patrick Mahomes do something on Sunday when Tom Brady retired, what, last year? Yeah. Yeah, and, that's true. It's like yeah. we forgot about him already. Yeah. It's like can and, and I think the point of this podcast is we're we are not here to be the get off my lawn type yeah. and say the players today suck and all that. That's not the case. We love no. football now. Just as much mm-hmm. as the stuff that and we're not here to say football was better in whatever year. But the whole point is like, how is it different? Yeah. Who were the great players? How do they compare today? And having that, having and just going over resumes of great players, you just know more about the game. It's more fun that way. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that. I I uh I probably couldn't have said that better. Let's and talk pl- about or go ahead, Steve. Sorry. And lastly, I mean, it gives you more stuff to watch in March and April. It does. When there's, yeah. Because you can either do that or, I mean, NBA All-Star Weekends this week, if that's more of your thing. But uh, I didn't even I'd know. Ra- <laughs> yeah. I'd rather uh, I'd rather just watch, you know, the Orange Crush defense, I guess. Well, that was like somebody uh, put on Twitter, like, no, the football's over. It's baseball season. I was like, all right. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll put on baseball when the time comes, but I'm I'm not excited yeah. for it. Well, in baseball, <laughs> like I'll I'll look at it more in August and September when there's a it's, pennant race. It's the best background noise, you know. Like you're getting something done around the house, and in May you're like, oh yeah, you know, I'll put yeah. this on TV. But anyway, hey, everybody's got their thing. But let's go into it, of course. Our 2024 Hall of Fame class. Uh, I can hear like the music uh, playing behind me and Rich Eisen. Yeah. Uh, announcing everybody um, from the Indianapolis, mainly from the Indianapolis Colts uh, defensive end Dwight Freeney in his second year of eligibility um, from mainly the Chicago bears, but also played with uh, Atlanta and Seattle for Seattle for like two games um, punt returner and uh, well return specialist. We might say Devin Hester. Uh, from the U and eventually, uh, the Houston Texans, Andre Johnson, wide receiver, uh, Roy Williams, maybe his best athlete of all time. Uh, not Tyler Hansbro, Julius Peppers, defensive end played in Carolina. I actually have to correct you. I don't, I don't think Roy Williams was at in Chapel Hill, but I think he was still at Kansas. Oh, yeah. Because when did he K- take over in UN at UNC then? Like 2003. Huh. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Uh, you, uh, 2000. North There's Carolina. somebody out there going. Well, actually, <laughs> I gotta. I gotta. No, because like I gotta. I gotta look that up now. 
because that's going to bother me. While you're looking that up, um, middle linebacker from the San Francisco 49er, or he wasn't really a middle, he was an inside backer, um, Patrick Willis. And then we had two senior um, two senior additions to this year's class. Matt uh, middle linebacker from, who was it? Matt Doherty. Never even heard of him. Yeah. Um, so keep going, sorry. <laughs> Randy, uh, Grishar, is it Grisher or Grishar? I think it's Grisher, right? Uh, you talking about uh from the Orange Gratishar, 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 Gratishar. Okay, Randy Gratishar. That's okay, Randy. If you're listening out there, well, we're, we're first of all, we are so happy that you would pick us to I have listen a, to. <laughs> I have a lot of notes actually. Randy Gratishar was a really good player, so he he was. Um, yeah, and then so I'll finally, go. In, I'll go through that. Defensive tackle from the 85 Bears, Steve Mongo McMichael. So that was your Hall of Fame class, a class of seven players. And of course, with all Hall of Fame classes, there's a bit of controversy and who got picked and who didn't get picked. Um, What we're going to do today is to go over that and go over each player's resume. What we are going to talk about is... And, and I don't want people to, you know, uh, I love stats. Steven loves stats. We both love numbers. But we also want to talk about, um, we're, we're going to use their numbers as comparison. Um, but we don't want to make it sound like if a player's numbers, if a metric comes in below what his peers, his Hall of Fame peers might be, we're not necessarily saying he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer because we don't think that's true. Okay. Everybody, if you get to this point, if you're a finalist, you have a damn good um argument to get into the Hall of Fame, I think. Would you agree unless with that, you're Steve? Jerome Bettis? I'm just kidding. Unless, yeah, unless well, yes, because Jerome <laughs> Bettis shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger tackling Nick Harper. <laughs> Congratulations oh. on your like 3.6 yards per carry, but did, let's get started. Did, so let's start off um, with the the pass rushers from this class. Um, and so what we're going to do is um, pro football reference. Now, this is available for everybody to see. Pro football reference has an awesome tool called Hall of Fame meter. And they have for each position an average Hall of Fame meter. And they have some other averages. I, I don't know the correct calculations that play into the hall of fame meter, but it's a range of different statistics um, that they create basically like a Z score. Um, And that's how they determine like your um, not how pro football reference would determine your hall of fame eligibility. Okay. Um, And so the other thing too, speaking of numbers, we need to remember too, people out there that, when we say average, we have to remember that there are people that are well ahead of the average, okay? Be- because there has been some great players in NFL history. So if a player comes in below the average, it doesn't make them unworthy, okay? It just means that they're probably like, Dwight Freeney isn't as good as Reggie White. You know, breaking news. But in certain anyways. positions... In certain positions, the Hall of Fame meter average 
I mean, I wish Pro Football Focus would put the median instead of yes, the average. the median would like, be better. Well, it's like Tom Brady's Hall of Fame meter is like well, like three. Jerry Rice is like sixty points yeah. ahead of the next receiver. Yeah. Like that's how so, amazing Jerry Rice was. And if you have somebody that's an outlier at that at that level, or if, for example, if a player has such a low Hall of Fame meter on the other on the on the flip side. I, I, I wish they had the median instead of the average, but the Hall of Fame meter is just kind of a gauge. It gives you kind of a a quick glance to see. And I, my favorite use of it is to see where current players are. Yeah. So, like, for, for example, like the highest Hall of Fame meter at wide receiver for a current player right now is Tyreek Hill. Yeah. So the most which recent makes, yeah. highest uh, or for uh, the most recent player that has the highest is Larry Fitzgerald who will yes get yeah. in very soon. Yeah. I guess we'll cut, be covering him uh, probably in like one or two years. Yeah. But, we'll uh, probably get... be at the hall of fame by then. So anyways, um, for a defensive end, the average hall of fame meter is 104. The average. Now there's a few other stats. The average championships one for a hall of fame defensive end is one. The average all pro teams is three. The average pro bowls is seven. The weighted approximate value. So approximate value is another pro football reference that weighted is just a way to um, create more cohesion across eras. The weighted approximate value is 104 games played on average 199. So that's like 12 and a half seasons. We'll say yeah. Uh, yep. Game started 174, so about 11 seasons. Most um, Hall of Fame candidates are going to start most of the games they play, exactly. unless you're a specialist. Right, or like Donnie Shell we talked about last week. He didn't really start until he was like a fourth year in the league. Yeah. Um, interceptions, I only include this for a reason, and Stephen, you'll talk about this later. Um, the average interception for a, defense, a Hall of Fame defensive end is three. Um, with one pick six on average, and then the sacks is 127. Yeah. Now, Dwight Freeney, we're going to talk about him first. He's going to come pretty close to a lot of these metrics. His yeah. Hall of Fame meter is about 19 points below the average. He's 85.22, so a little bit lower. However, he has the one championship. From when the Colts won Super Bowl 41, he was a part of that team. He was a part of that defense that really, especially that defensive line that was much maligned throughout the regular season, and they turned it on big time in the playoffs. He was, yeah, on, I think, you're good. Uh, yeah, he was on. Um, well, I'll go through all the stats and then we'll spew. Okay. Uh, he was on three All Pro teams, uh, seven Pro Bowl teams. His weighted approximate value was 81. Now, that's about 23 lower. I think that's because he was playing on some pretty shitty defenses. I think you can attest that to. Yes. Uh, he played in 218 games. He he had a long career. Um, was he in the 28-3 game? He was, yeah. He was on the Falcons that season. And he, he actually, he was on the Cardinals, I think, the year before. So, And we'll get into... Freeney in a second where you finish the stats, but he has, I think a big thing that goes for him is that he was in a ton of big games. Yes. And he had a Absolutely. lot of playoff exposure and that yeah, helped. He, I think sure his did. cause with the voters. 
And, and also, he didn't really like. I don't think he really took out, took off. I should say until his second year in the league, right? He was kind of quiet. I think his rookie season, and then his second year was the year that he uh, like he he had thirteen sacks as a rookie. Oh, his ro- Jesus yeah. Christ! I think Peppers is who you're thinking of. Who took yes. I, I, Peppers actually really took off his third year, but we'll get into Peppers in, in a little bit. But go ahead and finish up with Freeney. And then the sacks, Dwight Freeney is only a sack and a half behind the average Hall of Fame uh, sack leader. So yeah. all things considered, like I said, the only beside the Hall of Fame meter, I think is brought down a lot by the weighted approximate value. But as I said, I think that's because he played on a lot of really bad teams or not really bad teams really kind of iffy defenses we'll say um yes steven i think he is totally i think he earned his place in canton what do you think i mean i i would agree with him I, like he i think he's a perfectly uh i think he's a perfectly average hall of famer like you said yeah. i mean the thing that really there's two cases i would give I mean, you went over the statistics. He fits the profile of that. But, I mean, one thing that just stands out to me is the amount of playoff games he was in. I mean, he was on Mm -hmm. a bunch of Colts teams. uh, And he almost revolutionized the position. uh, Because before, you know, defensive ends were more of your Reggie White types. I mean, they were guys that were closing in on 280, 285, 290. They were yeah. these huge guys. Six foot four, six five. Yeah. Occasionally you would see some three, four defenses run, you know, some smaller outside linebackers that but those the Kevin Greens of the world were still 265, 270. Yeah. He was a monster. But Dwight Freeney was like six one, two sixty-eight. So he 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 had the size in terms Which of is, girth. It's but actually kind of normal tiny. now. But yeah, yeah, back then, yeah, back then, like that was especially going up against the the hog Molly offensive yeah. tackles. Yeah, because like the 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 left tackles of the day that he would line up against for guys like Jonathan Ogden in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I remember seeing a clip of him uh, going crazy on him. I think in a Sunday night game, and like yeah. no one really got past Jonathan Ogden. I mean, he was arguably the less him and Orlando Pace. Yeah, the two left tackles of the 2000s where he would have gone up against Joe Thomas a couple times. Yeah. Later. Yeah. Like towards the middle part of his career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But he used he kind of revolutionized the position to where you see a lot more, you know, less size speed freaks, more, you know, freelancing. He's freelancing and he kind of made the spin move is an art form because I think so many of these big lumbering left tackles that big, long, you know, six, seven, six, eight left tackles. They couldn't handle his burst off the line and then his agility because when you're so big, they can't handle that spin move. And he almost like I you know, you hear you used to hear the analysts talk about it like no one taught spin moves because you weren't supposed to take no. your eye off the quarterback when you're a defensive lineman. He honestly like changed the way they do it now because he almost just went to the quarterback with a reckless abandon. He was going to get there any way he could, but he he almost turned it into an an agility game more than just a power game because when you like I said when you thought of defensive ends in the late nineties or the mid nineties or late nineties, early two thousands, they were these bigger guys, right? 
Freeney was different, but he was, he had a thick lower body. And, uh, but I think like his spin move was so special. Like when I was just watching his old tape, it reminded me like, cause you don't see guys that were that good at one thing. It almost mm-hmm. reminded me of like when Kareem had his, his sky hook. Yeah. Where he couldn't stop it. Good and, analogy. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think in a way it was very similar because the best left tackles in the game, they had a hard time keeping keeping him out of the quarterback, keeping him away from the quarterback. And yeah, Dwight Freeney to me, definitely a Hall of Famer. Now the question we get at the end of the podcast is he better than some of the other guys that yeah. weren't selected? That's a different question. But I think yeah, he fits the profile. I can't argue against him making it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with all that. The second defensive end that got into the Hall of Fame, uh, I don't think there's much debate about this, is this Julius was easy. Peppers. Yes. Julius Peppers had a 119.75 Hall of Fame meter score. That's 15.75 above the average. He did not win a championship, but he came close quite a few times. Yeah. Um, with both of our teams once um and then he was in the super bowl in 2003 with the the panthers when they lost to tom brady for their second super bowl um he was on three all pro teams he was on nine pro bowl rosters his weighted approximate value was 130 and just like um freeney being a part of some poorer defenses pep would have been a part of some great defenses but also, he was a big part of that. Pat paid, played in 266 games. He started 240 of them. Remember earlier when I said the average defensive end had three interceptions, a Hall of Fame defensive end? Yeah. Julius Peppers had 11. He had four pick sixes and 159 and a half sacks which is 32 and a half more than the average Hall of Fame defensive end. Now he was he was an incredible player and with he was Pepper, the definition of a freak. Like yeah, he, when you, if when you would create a player in Madden. Yeah. You couldn't even create Julius Peppers. Like no. it wouldn't let you in terms of like the arm length, the athletic ability for somebody yeah. his size. I mean, he had a basketball background. So there's this one play in college that I I go back and watch this because he's like an alien where I think it's Curry for uh, Curry for North Carolina ends up throwing him an alley-oop pass in the the, just the hand-eye coordination for somebody that big is scary. And you can see why you can see that he had that hand-eye coordination in the NFL, because like you mentioned, he had 11 career picks as a defensive end. He is the only player in NFL history with a hundred sacks and a hundred sacks and 10 interceptions, 100 sacks, 10 interceptions. I, he has 159 career sacks, so he doesn't just qualify <laughs> for the 100 sack club. It's the 110 sack club with the 10 interceptions. Like he shatters the yeah 
He's he's arguably, I would say, the most versatile pass rusher of all time. Yeah, you know, uh, and and when we say he had eleven interceptions in his career, he wasn't like he, until Green Bay, when that was the first time in his career really he was standing up as a yeah. pass rusher, wasn't he? He could have, so, he could have always stood up too. That he could have always was, stood up, yeah. and he might he might have had twenty five interceptions if he yeah. stood up. But he had his hand in the dirt for the first twelve years of his career. That's, yeah. I mean, and he still had that many interceptions. Yeah. I mean, um, he, he was a special player and, and he, he had a, his combine measurements, six, six, two eighty three. ran a four, seven. He's running wow. as fast as some of these running backs, uh, like the slower end running backs, which is just yeah. crazy at that size. Uh, there was this play in Denver or really a sequence of plays in Denver where this guy chases down Jake Plummer on a bootleg. And remember, you're playing at a mile high. Yeah. Yeah. Very next, very next play drops back in the coverage and then proceeds to return an interception 101 yards. Got chased down by Rod Smith at like the three-yard line. It took Rod Smith basically 90 yards to catch him. Rod Smith was a wide receiver. Yeah. This guy was unbelievable. I mean, that, that isn't even the, the craziest play either. There was a play he had uh, in Carolina when he was with the Bears. You probably remember this play. The worst offensive game of all time. <laughs> he tips Jimmy Clausen's pass up in the air, and that's where his basketball skills come in. He finds the ball and like makes this acrobatic play. I still couldn't. I, when I saw that, that's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen he, by he, any one football player. His body was the his momentum of his body was taking him one way, and he literally dove back across his momentum to pick off the pass. I mean, it, it was it was insane. I, yeah. I think um, Julius Peppers. I don't think he was definitely unanimous in in the uh, the Hall of Fame vote. Um, so it was uh, uh, he was most deserving. I think of the entire class. I mean, every one of these guys is deserving, but. I think Julius Peppers certainly is the most. Yeah, and my my last takeaway for Peppers is if the NFL has a 125th anniversary team, he should be on it. That's how oh, yes. that's how good I think he was. Well, we were talking earlier this week he probably should have made the 100th anniversary team. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look who made it. Um that's interesting because because that should be like you know that should you would that was think the end of his career he yeah he had been retired already, but yeah, I mean Reggie White's on there and you, you got you got players from the seventies yeah it's, and Bill we love Bill on this show if um, yeah. if you didn't know um but Bill Bill knows his football and he would have made sure that guys before um nineteen sixty were included you know so. Um, he that might have been a reason why. Yeah, he was a play. He was just a playmaking defensive end. I mean, and one of the last plays I want to go over before we move on to the next player. There was a play in 2014 where Christian Ponder. It's a rainy Thursday night at Lambeau Field. Christian Ponder gets a ball tipped. Remember, tip drills. Julius Peppers is going to be around the ball. He intercepts this pass. He proceeds to run for a touchdown, but on his way into the end zone, he runs away from Jarek McKinnon. <laughs> Jarek McKinnon was a running back. 
and he has he had just as much acceleration, if not more, than Jarek McKinnon in that play. I and I think he was at least ten years into the league at that point. He was in his thirties. Yeah, time at that. least yeah. He had already spent four years in Chicago, so. I mean, outside of Aaron Donald and maybe a handful of other players, he is truly one of the best players I've ever watched. Very yeah. underrated player. Most gifted. And he was very consistent. He was like, he never led the NFL or in tackle or excuse me, in QB takedowns. But he, he certainly, you know, he, he was at a, a steadying pace just about his entire career. Yeah, so, for sure. That wraps up our DN talk. Uh, there was just those two guys. Um, and really, uh, well, what, I guess we'll bring it up later, but there was really no other defensive end that I think um, would have gotten a nod uh, or. Um, oh, I disagree. Oh, but we'll oh, get into oh that. There, there, was, there was one. Yeah, I forgot about. I but disagree, anyways, but yeah, we'll get into uh, that in a second. <clears throat> uh, the next position group we want to talk about are wide receivers. Um, the first one that we'll talk about is, uh, the second one we included him, but the first one is certainly a deserving wide receiver. Um, the average hall of fame meter for a wide receiver is 101. The average hall of fame wide receiver won one championship, two all pro teams, six pro bowls had a weighted approximate value of 94 played in 188 games, started 166, caught 742 balls uh, for 11,000 yards and 86 touchdowns. The first wide receiver we'll talk about is Andre Johnson of the Houston Texans and the Colts. And was that it? I think so, yeah. Uh, uh, He played for the Titans. Oh, the Titans. That's right. Yeah, he was on the he, Titans for his final season, I believe. I, 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 there was a few like NFC or AFC South players that kind of switched between team. Like Hasselbeck was on the Titans and the Colts. Yeah, and yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of weird there for a few years. The yeah, mid two thousand, technically only played in the AFC. He only played in the AFC South. He yeah, never left the, the division. Weird. Um. So Andre Johnson, his Hall of Fame meter was ninety one point nine one. Now, again, that's below the average, but as we mentioned earlier, Jerry Rice is skewing the average for the Hall of Fame meter for wide receivers. So it also it also hurts him. He played for the Texans. Yes. Like in an era like he was, I think the year after they, they were an expansion team, 03, they were the I think 02 is when they started. Yeah. So you know for the first four or five years, he's not doing crap in January. No. So that's gonna hurt his that's gonna yeah. hurt his Hall of Fame meter, and that's not his fault. No, um, of course, never a part of a championship team. He didn't even make an AFC championship. He got pretty close in 2011 and 2012. They they were in the divisional playoffs both those years. They actually had some really, really strong teams, but they had Matt Schaub at quarterback, yeah. and that wasn't enough to get over the hump. He was on two all-pro teams. He made seven Pro Bowl rosters, um, which is a, a huge accomplishment in itself. His weighted approximate value is exactly at the average, 94. Played in 193 games, started 187 of them. He caught 1,062 balls for 14,000 yards, and he scored 70 touchdowns, which is a little bit below the average. 
Yeah. I mean, he honestly, he had a really similar resume to a guy that will be first ballot and Julio Jones. I mean, yeah. Um, he seems like a really solid hall of fame candidate. I mean, everything you see really cool for Houston, um, because I know Tony Baselli made it, so they might claim him as their first, um, you know, Texan hall of famer, but he's not, he's a Jaguar. Um, so this is really the first Texan to make the hall of fame. He's certainly the best player in Texans history. I think, well, well now, no, he's not. He's the best offensive player in Texans history. Yeah, um, JJ Watt. I think J- yeah. JJ Watt's definitely the best player. Um, but Andre Johnson for a few years there, like we were talking about those early um, 2010s, early to mid 2010s, late 2000s, like from about 2009 to we'll say 2013, or actually 2012, because 20, you know, 2013. What was, oh, 2014 was the year they drafted Clowney. So 2013, they sucked. So, but from about 2009 to 2012, there was not a more dangerous receiver besides maybe Calvin Johnson in the NFL, Julio Jones included. Yeah. Then well, Andre Julio Johnson. was really young. Julio Jones was still really young at that point. Oh, he uh, was, yeah, because he drafted yeah. in 2011. Yeah, but it was, and because really like Randy Moss was starting, you know, he, he, faded he was on the at decline. That point. Yeah, and then T.O. was still actually producing, but not at the level he was when he was. And he wasn't playing on big teams either. Yeah, like T.O. in 2004 was not what T.O. was. He was a lot better in 04 than he was 2010. So Andre Johnson, yeah, I agree with you. At that point, it was really him and Calvin Johnson were arguably the best receivers in the game. You know, that era didn't last. I think Calvin kind of held that on for a little longer than Andre Johnson. Yes. Um, and a lot of that was the quarterback. I mean, Matt Schaub, I do yeah. got to give him his flowers. Like Matt Schaub, for as much as like, like Big Cat, like used to make fun of him with that, like, I'm coming home when he signed back with Atlanta. That was yeah, a hilarious video. Um, but he he was pretty like he was really good at running the Kubiak offense. But like that offense, when it wasn't like Arian Foster was a huge part of that ground game and they yeah. had a really good offensive line. Uh, but Andre Johnson was the thing that made those drives, those third down, um, those third down catches to keep those drives alive so that they could continue moving the ball with Arian Foster. Um, he unfortunately, like we said, he never got to play in. Uh, like an AFC championship. Um, and even those two years that they were in the divisional playoffs, 2011, they gave Baltimore a good run for it, but they weren't, they weren't going to beat. They had like TJ Yates um, at quarterback. So, you know, they didn't really have a chance. He was, he's just one of those guys that he did his job for a long time and he did it very well. Um, he wasn't flashy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, actually probably his most famous clip is when he beat Cortland Finnegan's ass, uh, which I think all of America was pumped about. (laughs) So it was, I mean, Finnegan was giving him the business like all game and you could tell, cause I think the Texans were kicking the Titans ass at this point. So Andre Johnson's like, I'm done whooping your ass up and down the field. So I'm just going <laughs> to whoop your ass and just get kicked out of the game. 
And yeah. I think Kubiak gave him the game ball. That was the best part. <laughs> I mean, it everybody really in the everybody in the country outside of like Nashville loved that clip. Oh yeah. It was it was like they were playing it on Sports Center for, for weeks. It, it was yeah. hilarious. Normally, um, so, you know, leagues don't condone fighting, but we like that one. Yeah. Um one of the things that I liked about uh, his profile for Hall of Fame purposes is I, for any position, I like to kind of cross-reference and like what the, that's literally the exercise we're doing is rating him by average Hall of Fame wide receivers. But of course, guys that played in the 70s are going to have lesser stats because uh, they played in the dead ball era or even guys that played in the 1950s or 1960s. But these are the guys that have a thousand plus career receptions and fourteen thousand passing yards with seventy plus touchdowns. Ten guys: Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Steve Smith, Tim Brown, Tony Gonzalez, Isaac Bruce, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Larry Fitzgerald, and Jerry Rice. All but two of those players are Hall of Famers. So to yeah. me, yeah, Andre Johnson. Pretty solid Hall of Fame pick. Yeah, he is. He really. And actually, we the other thing we kind of I did kind of say it at the beginning. He went to the U. He was on the greatest college football team of all time. He was. He think about that passing attack, by the way. Ken Dorsey was pretty spoiled because he's sitting there going to his right. He's got Andre Johnson going Mm -hmm. to his left. He's got Reggie Wayne. Oh, and if it. You know, that doesn't work out. I'll just throw it to Jeremy Shockey. Yeah. And then Colin yeah. Winslow was a backup tight end. What uh, a stack team. I mean, unreal. Um, Willis McGahee, I think, was around. Willis McGahee yeah. uh, was there. Garrett Clinton Payton. Portis. Yeah. What a stack yeah. team. Yeah, they were. I mean, th- th- those were. That's actually, th- that was when I first got into college football was um, was those yeah. years. So that was fun. But and don't so forget was... the legend Najee Davenport, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, there's another guy from that team. Oh, no, no. He came later on. Forgot that. Yeah. Forgot about that. Anyways, <laughs> um, the next wide receiver, technically, he's classified as a wide receiver that we want to talk about, is Devin Hester. Now, disclaimer, we're going to talk about why we think Devin Hester is a Hall of Famer. But we're also going to bring up the points why some people might feel he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Okay. We should just not even talk about his receiving. Like that isn't it doesn't yes. matter. I, I was but I yeah. It is funny though. His Hall of Fame meter, I'll just say this, is forty eight point four, which would be about fifty two, fifty three less than the average. But he was not a wide receiver that we understand as a wide receiver. In fact, he actually, if he played in today's era, would probably make a very good wide receiver. Uh, well, uh, he'd, yeah, he'd make possibly. a great, he'd make a great, like, um, your jet sweep. He'd be great on bubbles. Like, the, like there'd be a good offensive coordinator. A good, a good offensive coordinator would know what to do with Hester. What Hester became so famous for was his ability to return punts and then later on kicks. Um, there was, and I don't think, I, I truly do believe 
that uh, Hester is a Hall of Famer because I don't think there's a return specialist outside of Cordero Patterson that was as impactful as Devin Hester. Um, Devin Hester had 14 punt return touchdowns. He had 20 total returns. That includes five kicks and a missed field goal return. For somebody that is a Bears fan, um, that was at that 2006 Bears team. Um, for anybody that's under the age of 40, really, in Chicago, that was the most fun year we ever had watching the Bears. Um, it started in his debut game against Green Bay. He ran a punt back. Um, and then everybody remembers the week six game, the Monday night football game. Um, the Bears are who we thought they were game. Uh, when the Bears did not score an offensive touchdown all game, they scored two defensive touchdowns on a Mark Anderson strip sack. And Mike Brown ran it in for a touchdown. Then Earl Ecker stripped Edron James. Charles Tillman ran the ball in for a touchdown. So the Bears were getting the ball back with two and a half minutes left in the game. And it was just like, okay, Rex Grossman, can you lead one touchdown drive? Please, dear God, Rex Grossman, lead one touchdown drive. And he didn't even have to because Hester took the punt at about a 17-yard line. He made two cuts, and he was into the open. Um, it's a game that is still talked about in Chicago. I, my personal memory of that game was, um, well, the bears went in five and oh, and the Cardinals were whooping the bears ass. And I was crying, um, just because I wanted to see how long they could stay undefeated for. Um, but also I was probably tired. I was a 10 year old, 10 going on 11. And my mom was like, all right, you know what? Let's, let's get you to bed. Let's get you to bed. So she put me into bed. She put me in the bed in the middle of the third quarter. The Bears are down 23 to three. The next morning, she woke me up for school. And she said, Neil, the Bears won. And I was like, okay, all right, okay, whatever. Yeah, you've done this before. Like, you, this is how you try to get me out of bed. And she was like, no, really, they did. And I was like, okay, all right, whatever. I went into the kitchen. My mom always put the news on in the morning uh, while we were eating breakfast. The morning news in Chicago. They talked about the traffic and the weather. There was no other news story, but did you see that game last night? Because That's how crazy it was. That was really the birth of Hester's um, mythological status in Chicago. Um, of course, then he had the missed field goal return a few weeks later. Um, he had a return in the, the game. They clinched a division against the Vikings. He did that four years later then. And of course, he had two against St. Louis in the Super Bowl return. Um, in 2007, he picked up right where he left off. He went on a bit of a hiatus for a few years, uh, and while they tried to teach him how to play wide receiver, which he was not good at, um, he was okay at a nine route every once in a while. But, uh, when the bears finally got like Alshon and Marshall, they kicked him to the curb. Unfortunately, Cutler also didn't really target him a lot. Uh, I don't think he trusted him. Uh, which was also yeah. a, a, you know, maybe something that aided his poorer wide receiver stats. But yeah. then in 2010, he had kind of a resurgence that again came against. Uh, I'm sure you remember that wild. It's one of the few victories the Bears have had against the Packers in the last 15 years. Um, 
when that game that game was such a the Packers had 97 penalties. That was a game that epitomized the 2010 Packers regular season where you watch that game. The Packers are better in oh, every yeah. phase of the game outside of penalties and special teams. And Julius Peppers, ironically, he had a huge game that night. And what happens? Bunch of penalties and a punt return touchdown by Dan Hester. Yeah. You just they this kept Flips the Bears the in long enough. Yeah. And then yeah. there was a, a a fumble. James Jones, I think it was, got stripped. Oh, yeah, and the ball doesn't go out of bounds. The ball, like, tipped like this on the sideline and then rolled back into play. If um, that game is played on artificial turf, that ball goes out of bounds. But the soldier field grass is, like, was the a thickest divot, in probably. the league. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I still, I've never been, like, I, I knew we were going to lose that game once I saw that happen. Because I go, there's nothing you can do there. No, you couldn't. The but, the um, thing the thing about Hester. Are you, do you want to finish your thoughts on? No, um, I'll just say this. Um, it's really cool. I I know he was on the. I know a lot of people were like, ah, you know, like you can't like put a return specialist in. And I think we, I think you're gonna make a good point about this. Um, I thought I always thought Hester was very deserving. Uh, I know his receiver stats didn't look good, but there was there was really nobody, I think, that impacted the game from his position. Uh, I mean, we're talking like, um, like he was the elite of the elite. Uh, there's a guy that writes for he's a Bears blogger named Jonathan Wood, and in 2017 he actually just rehashed this piece the other day. He put together uh, an article with statistics about just how great Hester was and just how much impact he had. Uh, and I would recommend anybody to read it because it, it really does show what Hester did um, to change the NFL. Yeah. And I'll give my quick thoughts on Hester. What he was really special about, like you said, he was a below average, like below replacement level wide receiver. I, I throw that part of his resume completely out. Like I am only looking at Devin Hester as a specialist. There are specialists in the Hall of Fame. You know, you have Ray Guy. He's in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. You have a couple of kickers, right? You, uh, place kickers. Adam Vinatieri is going to make it in when he's eligible. So I don't have it. I don't have a problem putting Devin Hester in because he is the best return man of all time. And I'm good with that. I'm good with him making it. A lot of people dispute that. Now, would I put him over some of the guys that were not uh, inducted this year? That's debatable. I think that's a fair debate. But I think yeah. Tevin Hester is totally deserving of top consideration. And I have no problem with him being chosen in this class. What he did, though, and the impact that he made on a game, I felt like it was even more uh, substantial with the Bears because they didn't have very efficient quarterbacks. No. Really at all like during his entire career. Like no. Maybe when Cutler got there, but even then, he wasn't awesome, right? Right. So he gets there. Every single punt return he had, I feel like it flipped the game back. It, it was a game a lot of the times where like the the Bears couldn't pull away 
or the Bears were behind in the game, or they were even down two scores, and he'd bring them back. He basically give them a free score and get them yeah. right back in it. Gives them a free possession. It's just as valuable as Charles Woodson taking a, a pick six back. And we yeah. value that enough to put that in the Hall of Fame. I have no problem with Devin Hester getting in the Hall of Fame on one condition that we need to start including more specialists. And I think yes. maybe having every five years have a category made for specific specialists because you want to be able to recognize the top long snappers, punters, kick returners, and then even guys like Steve Tasker that were just gunners. Yeah. Right? Made impact. We're the plays. guys to do that, Stephen, I yeah. think. <laughs> but I think that's my problem, though, with Hester is he's going to get in, and I get it because he was he's a very famous player, and this is the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But I don't think guys like Steve Tasker or Matthew Slater are ever going to get to Canton. And I have a little yeah. bit of a problem with that because I think they had just as much of an impact on their teams, especially Matthew Slater, and because he won a bunch of Super Bowls. And Steve Tasker got to a bunch of Super Bowls. And I think they were big contributors to their team's success. They're not going to see the recognition that Devin Hester got. That's my only yeah. issue. But it's not even an issue with Devin Hester. It's more of an issue with the way... The process. The process is very inconsistent when you yeah. look at like certain guys. And I think it helps that he played in Chicago. Um, yes. I, I mean... Yeah, if he I played for the he, Titans. He's not getting in. Cordero yeah. Patterson's going to see that. Like Cordero Patterson's breaking records for kickoff returns. He ain't but he did it with him. four different teams. Yeah. yeah. He's um, not going to sniff him. It would be cool if Hester, and the last point we'll make, it would be cool if Hester actually uh, championed those guys. Like now that he is in the Hall of Fame, yeah. if he, you know, over the, the course of time said like, hey, let's get Steve Taskren. Let's get Cordero Patterson. Let's get Adam Vinatieri. You know, those kind of guys. It would be really nice. You can't tell the story of football without special teams. I mean, that's, yes. a, that's the third phase of the game. Special so. teams was a huge reason why Kansas City won the Super Bowl the other night. Yeah. So. And the best of the best of that, at those positions deserve every bit of the recognition as Absolutely. defensive and offensive players. But let's go on to Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis. Um, so anyways, for inside linebackers, because we're going to have two different inside linebackers to talk about. The yeah, average yeah. Hall of Fame meter is 106. The average Hall of Fame inside linebacker has won one championship. The other thing I kind of like about that, too, and this is what we talked about last week. It says championship. It doesn't say Super Bowl. So for any of you people out there, the pro football reference also recognizes NFL championships, just like your favorite podcast, the old souls football podcast available on Apple podcast, Spotify, and Amazon music. The average hall of fame inside linebacker has made four all pro teams, seven pro bowls. They have a weighted approximate value of 103. They've played in 167 games, starting 159 of them. 21 interceptions. It's important to be a, 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 a somebody that's around the ball as an inside linebacker. One pick six, 21 pass deflections, which that's kind of a, that's a tough stat to use because they didn't start, like there's really no uh, evidence of pass deflections for guys that were beyond like say 1994 when they don't have as much play-by-play -play, uh, 
data. And then lastly, sacks with 22, which is also a little bit difficult for an inside linebacker. Patrick Willis, he has a Hall of Fame meter of 107.1, which is higher than the average. Now, that's important because the Hall of Fame meter is a um, volume statistic, okay? So it's additive. So it's just, it's like you start off at zero and you add on to it as your career goes on. Um, so, well, obviously they have their own calculation, but they take whatever you did for this year and they add it on to what you had your previous years. That's incredible that he had 107.1 Hall of Fame meter because Patrick Willis only played seven full seasons in the NFL. Um, so he did basically have a hall of fame career in quite less than a decade. He was on five all pro teams. He made the pro bowl every single year he played in the NFL. His weighted approximate value is 93. That's brought down a little bit because he played on some pretty harsh teams in the first half of his career. Um, and then he kind of blossomed later on. He had eight interceptions. Not a heck of a lot, but a decent amount. Two pick sixes, 53 pass deflections, which is just as good as an interception in some case. Well, not just as good, but can be. And he had 20 and a half sacks. Steven, you've had uh, a real love for Patrick Willis since his playing days started. What do you think of his candidacy? This was the second easiest pick for me. Um, when I go through my ballot, Peppers was my number one choice. Patrick Willis was my number two. And it wasn't that hard because ultimately, look at his resume. Like you yeah. said, he was in the league eight years. And he or, was yeah, technically, yes, he, he did miss one year. Yeah, I forgot about that. Patrick Willis was in the in the Patrick Willis was in the league for eight seasons and he was the best at his position for an all pro first team all pro five times. It's <laughs> incredible. That, he, that's an easy sell for Canton. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I, the majority of your career, you're in the top four players at your position. Yeah, you're in. Yeah. And he's in it. It's an important position. He was on good teams with Jim Harbaugh as the coach. Um, one of the thoughts that I had, and this is, uh, we both agreed, Patrick Willis is a Hall of Famer. It's not that hard. And he was a, the other thing about Willis, by the way, one of my last points on him, impactful immediately comes in yeah. as a rookie out of Ole Miss, first round pick, immediately the best player at his position in the league. This is a league, 74 tackles. This is a, he came into the league. Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher are still playing, by the way. Yeah. And he was just as good, if not better, than Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher. Slam dunk Hall of Famer. I'm surprised he had to wait, to be honest. He did. Um, He did have a long wait. He was on, he was kind of the bridesmaid about four times before this. Um, So it's really awesome that he was able to break through this year. I, the, my going back to my original, like I was going to make kind of a what if scenario. Yeah. What if Trent Baalke is not like the worst front office guy in the league and 
drives Jim Harbaugh away to Michigan. Yeah. And basically, I think that forced Patrick Willis into retirement. And it did kind of broke up that core. It it, it really did because it it went to hell in a handbasket for San Francisco. He could have until Shanahan took over. Yeah, he could have played another five, six years easily. Easy. And probably at a high level. And I mean, Ray Lewis, I think, played for what was he, the 90? What was Ray Lewis, the 96 draft? 96 or 97. He was the 96 draft. 96, yes. Yeah. So he he lasted until 2012. Yeah, he played 16 seasons. So if Patrick Willis plays 16 seasons, he would have retired after this season. Excuse my he, coughing, anybody listening, by the way. I have a cold. So that was one of my big what ifs. He retired nearly 10 years ago. He could have been playing just this year. Like, yeah, he could have. He could have still least playing. He could have at least been a part of like that 49ers team that was in the Super Bowl a few years ago against Kansas yeah. City. You know, if he does, he could really be considered up there with like Butkus, Nitschke, Ray Lewis, yeah, Lambert. Well, see that that's some the of these thing greatest about, linebackers of all time. That Hall of Fame eater, like I said, it's additive. He had that like he surpassed the average Hall of Famer in just really like he played he was in the league for eight years but he only had seven seasons worth of games yeah um like that's incredible um like even imagine if he didn't miss a season's worth of games like he'd be even higher trying to think of a player that had that short of like who would be a comparable player that had a that Terrell Davis yeah Ale Sayers yeah, and those two at running back, it's a little more common because those yes. guys tend to break down a lot easier or earlier. And but they're also in the spotlight more. Like yeah. Willis, I mean, outside of hard nosed football fans, um, like how many of your average NFL fans knew who Patrick Willis was before Jim Harbaugh took over and he yeah. brought Vic Fangio with him? Tells you also how good Vic Fangio is. And I'll tell you this, when Patrick Willis came into the league, it was very uncommon for rookies to make impacts. Because between 2000 to 2007, only one other player had accomplished first-team All-Pro as a rookie that wasn't a specialist. That was Jeremy Shockey in 2002 with the Giants. Wow. So he comes in, he's first-team All-Pro. That was really rare at that point in time. It's It's become a little more common. Like We saw two of the Jets do it last year. Yeah, because um, Sauce Gardner, I think, was an All Pro. He was. Um, so he was you do see this it a little, year too. Yeah, you you see it a little bit now, but mm-hmm. when he came into the league and he's the best at his position, where you still have Brian Urlacher and Ray Lewis, he's awesome, and he was awesome his entire career. No brainer for me. Yeah, um, we're very happy for Patrick Willis. Should have uh, should have been in already, honestly. Long long time ago. Yeah. Our next inside linebacker that we're going to talk about is the man that I butchered his name early on. And again, if he's listening, we're very happy he's listening, but um, we're very sorry. Randy Gratishar, inside said, linebacker. You'll you'll want to keep getting his name wrong because he's an Ohio State legend. So oh, yeah. you'll uh, 
He's like one of the best. Actually, Woody Hayes called him his. (laughs) Woody Hayes said he was his best player ever. So really, Mm -hmm. no kidding. Yep. Um, But keep going. Sorry. So, anyways, uh, Randy Gratishar's Hall of Fame meter was sixty six point eight, which is technically forty below the Hall of Fame meter, uh, the average Hall of Fame meter for a inside linebacker. Again, we talked about this earlier today. That does not mean we don't think he is a Hall of Fame player. We'll talk more about that. He was never a part of a championship ball club. However, he did play in a Super Bowl. He played in Super Bowl, was it Super Bowl 11, right, Stephen? Against Super Bowl 12. Super Bowl 12 against, against Dallas. Dallas. They they did get their asses kicked. But, um, I mean, the, the Broncos, they had... Um, was it uh, Chris Morton? Not Chris. Chris Morton. Craig Morton. Craig Morton. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Chris sorry. Morton's. Yeah, but I think in this in Super Bowl twelve they had eight turnovers on offense. Yeah, they, I mean they were or um, six turnovers. Excuse they, me. They never had like their Super Bowl was beating the Raiders in the AFC Championship. Like that was like they were really the first like uh, Cinderella team to make the Super Bowl. I was right the first time. It was eight turnovers in the in one game eight for the Broncos. Turnovers. He was on two All-Pro teams, seven Pro Bowl teams, which is the average, and it's as many as Patrick Willis was on. His weighted approximate value. Now, this is the interesting one. His weighted approximate value is 88, which is actually only five below Patrick Willis. He played in 145 games, so this was an era where he was only a part of the 16-game season for the last five years of his career. He started in 133 of them. He had 20 interceptions and three pick sixes. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. And he had 19 and a half sacks. Most famously, Randy Gratishar was a part of the renowned Orange Crush defense that dominated the AFC West during the seventies and the early part of the 1980s. Um, He played alongside uh, TJ from, from you're supposed to say Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. (laughs) It's been so long since I've watched primetime, man. TJ from Louisville. Louisville. (laughs) Um, No, Randy Gratishar is, uh, I think a very deserving honor the hall of fame meter um especially for guys that played in the 70s uh and and really pre obviously we we talked about this uh not too long ago the modern era in the nfl is considered um from 1970 on post-merger but really the game is so far different now than it was back then um there wasn't uh, mostly what Randy Gratishar was doing was plugging holes. He was not, we'll say, um, you know, freelancing like a Brian Erlacher was at middle line, even though Brian Erlacher was playing, you know, the deep, deep middle in the Tampa two, but the, it was a totally different position. It was a totally different game back then. Um, but Randy Gratishar was a, um, a player that, he was a senior finalist. He had a long time waiting um, to get into the Hall of Fame. We're really excited for him. Steven? Yeah. So I think the number one takeaway I have from Gratishar's career 
is that it was overshadowed, just like the 70s Broncos teams. Um, Because you're playing in an era where you have the steel curtain, and I feel like just the front seven had a half dozen Hall of Famers. Yeah. You have the doomsday defense in Dallas. And in the early 70s, you have the no-name defense in Miami. The Orange Crush defense, I looked. Before Gratishar, no Hall of Famers. However, from 90, uh, 1976 to 1979, the Broncos were no worse than the sixth best defense in the NFL if you look at yards per play, which we don't have DVOA or anything to look back on. This is the closest that, thing. Yeah. yeah, I look at yards per play because that, to me, that's very similar. I look at a per play metric. Yeah. And the thing about the the other thing the Broncos didn't have is they didn't have any like postseason glory. Like they, you know, they made Super Bowl twelve, so they didn't make the big game. But you know, Dallas had a couple of Super Bowls in the seventies. Miami had a couple of Super Bowls. Pittsburgh had four. Like, and the Oakland had one at that point. Um, they they ended up winning. I guess they they didn't win another one till the eighties. They had yeah. one with Madden. So. Looking at Denver, this team feels a little overshadowed from history. But if you actually dive into his resume, it's pretty good. It's really good. I think it's a borderline Hall of Fame discussion. I mm. I don't think he, he, you know, he does not have the resume of a Patrick Willis where he has like five first team all pros uh, in the you know 10 years that he played. You right. know, I think he had a couple of first team all pros in there. Um, I believe yeah, he had two. So solid resume, looking at the awards, looking at the statistics. But I think really what I look at is if you put him on a team that wins a championship, if he had had, if he had won Super Bowl 12, he's going to make the Hall of Fame 20 years ago. Yeah. Or, or he retired the, uh, after Elway's rookie season if he stays yeah. on a little bit longer with Elway, does he, you know? Yeah. yeah. I And I think in going back to Super Bowl twelve, you even mentioned it. They played pretty well in that game. Like this yeah. team, this defense played well in big games. It's just they gave up eight turnovers on, or, uh, on offense. They, they had mm-hmm. eight giveaways. That's an awful performance offensively. And yeah. That gave the doomsday defense kind of an added aura, right? And the 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 orange crush defense of the 1970s, I don't think got its recognition until Randy Gratishart finally got into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think I think overall it's a borderline Hall of Famer, but the fact that he's he's getting in, I don't have a problem with it. Uh you know, it's right there. It's not the most impressive resume I've ever seen. I, I, I wouldn't put it up there with the robbery of like how Jerry Kramer was somehow left off. Yeah. The hall of fame until he was like 75 years old. But I think gratitude is deserving. I have no problem with it, uh, with him. Yeah. I, I would have voted. Yes. If I had, a, if I had a vote. And that leaves us with one final Hall of Fame inductee for the it was it was a smaller class, only seven players, which 
they can have as usually as many as nine. Well, usually the ever the number is eight, but they could have as many as nine. But they went with seven this year. The last Hall of Fame inductee that we'll talk about today is Steve Mongo McMichael, who is a defensive tackle. So to talk about the average defensive tackle, the Hall of Fame meter is one hundred two. The average Hall of Fame defensive tackle was a part of one championship ball club, four all-pro teams, and seven Pro Bowl teams. They had a weighted approximate value of 103, played in 190 games, starting 175 of them, and had 92 sacks. Now, Steve Mongo McMichael had a Hall of Fame meter of 60.18, which outside of Devin Hester, who technically we put in as a receiver, would be the lowest of the class in the uh, for the 2024 class. He was a part of one championship ball club, the 1985 Bears. He was on two all-pro teams, two Pro Bowl teams, but... Mongo had a weighted approximate value of 100, which is just a little bit below the average, the average of 103. Mongo played in 213 games, starting 171 of them. And Mongo had 95 sacks, which is the third most for any defensive tackle ever. Um, As a Bears fan, um, I think a lot of people, especially say younger people, um, were excited for Devin Hester because he was the epitome of entertainment for us growing up. Uh, as you said, he was our offense. Um, but if, for anybody who has any um, memory of the 1985 Bears or those 80s Bears teams in general, uh, or just for anybody that values those teams like myself, obviously I was 10 years from being born when the bears won the super bowl, but I've watched every single game from that 85 team over and over. I've studied them a lot. If you listen to the other hall of famers that Steve McMichael played with Richard Dent, who is a defensive end for the bears, Dan Hampton, who is a tackle alongside um, or alongside McMichael and then kicked out to end when William Perry came in to play tackle. Mike Singletary, who played right behind Mongo's ass for 10 years. They would all tell you that Steve McMichael should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago. And you might say, well, yes, that's their, um, that's their teammate. Of course, they're going to back him up. If you talk to guys like Russ Grimm, who played against Mongo in the playoffs in some hard-nosed NFC games back in the 80s, he would tell you that Mongo should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago. Joe Jacoby would say the same thing. Um, and that's actually coming from Dan Pompey, who was a part of the Hall of Fame voters. Um, he, I heard him saying that the other day in 670, the score here in Chicago. Um, C. McMichael retired in 1994, so he would have been eligible in 1999. Now, he was not a first ballot Hall of Famer by any stretch of the imagination. 
but he very well should have made the Hall of Fame long before this. The sad thing about this is that Mongo right now, for anybody who doesn't know, is battling ALS, and it's not the early stages. Mongo is three years into this battle, um, or almost three years. He is... Um, I recommend anybody watching the Sunday NFL countdown uh, piece on Steve McMichael there the other day before the Super Bowl. It was very well done and it captured everything that was amazing about McMichael because he wasn't just a great player. He was the best character maybe on that team on a team full of characters. He got cut from new England because he was in the, uh, I guess, the combat zone in Boston, which is like their red light district um, on nights before practices, before games. So he didn't fit in well there. And so he got signed for, I think like a hundred dollars by the bears. And he found a home in Chicago. He's from Texas, but he is truly an adopted son of Chicago. Um, he, after his NFL career was over, he joined WCW. He was part of the Four Horsemen with Ric Flair. Um, and so Mongo has made friends and has made impressions. Heck, he even ran for mayor of Romeoville, Illinois, uh, about 20 years ago uh, so that he could put a, a strip club in the basement of his restaurant. Uh, Mongo was just the ultimate character, but he was a good guy from all accounts. He is unfortunately going through a, a battle that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And the pictures of him the last few days, um, have been really comforting to know that, uh, to know that he knows that he's in, but it's a shame that he couldn't be of his, you know, healthy self to enjoy it but i think a lot of people in chicago his teammates his wife misty his sister um their nurses everybody that's helped out the chicago bears have done a lot for him i think a lot everybody's going to try to do their best to live up that um what he really should have been in a long time ago he um it's 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 really awesome i think a lot of people were afraid that a ron santo type thing was going to happen Ron Santo should have been an MLB Hall of Famer for, uh, or a baseball Hall of Famer, I, sh I should say. Um, for years, they put him in after he died. This was kind of yeah. bad enough that um, Mongo had to get to this point. I don't know if he'll see the induction in August, and he wants to go to the induction, but they don't know what that would do to him. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. It's a really sad situation. It's, it's a very sad sure. situation. But you know, regardless, talking about the player, I know a lot of people said um, that were maybe a little bitter. Some sad people out there, because there are some people like that that felt that it was only a pity vote. Again, as I said early on, Mongo was a totally deserving player. His job was to take on double teams in that 46 defense. And Dan Hampton and Richard Dent, who were athletic freaks of their time, 
we're just told to get to the quarterback any way you can. And Mongo, so he didn't get the glitz and glamour that his two teammates did, and he still ended up with 95 sacks in his career. Um, would he have produced that way in another defense? Maybe not. But the fact that he still produced that volume in a defense that had other Hall of Famers on it that were taking away his sacks, I think is pretty astounding. Um, Mongo, to me, is the one that, um, like, when Hester got in, I was happy. Uh, I was almost in tears knowing that Steve McMichael was in. It is a beautiful thing for him. Um, yeah. I, I think he's very deserving. Yeah, I would have given him a vote uh, for yes, uh, especially being in the senior category. Um, I, to me, what stood out, especially when I see D tackles, when they're sitting there with 80-plus sacks, I think his career with the 85 Bears, or really the 1980s Bears, you know, number one, being on the greatest defense of all time, that's a plus. Whoa, I think what I think what honestly happened though with him is just the same thing that happened to Jerry Kramer, where yeah. not the best, not necessarily the best player on an all-time team. So, you know, he stuck playing with Richard Dent, Dan Hampton, Mike Mike Singletary, right? Those three, mm-hmm. like when you think of the 90, 1985 Bears defense, those, those are, are the, the first three. Play. Yeah, yeah, and those guys are like sitting there, you know. Mongo has two first team all pros. These guys have like five. So yeah. I think it's a case where sports writers are like, oh, you know, well, we've done the 85 Bears already. Yeah. They're taken care of. And I think that McMichael, he just kind of gotten forgotten. Yeah. And, you know, I think he he was a really, you know, he was a Hall of Fame player. Um, he's he, I would put him just like in the kind of the Gratishar category. Like he was really, really, really good, but kind of forgotten because you know Gratishar being in the 70s like linebackers at that point like there were some all-time players like Jack Lambert for example like in the steel curtain same thing with McMichael you're just kind of I think he was almost a victim of his own team and his own era Um, but if you look at his resume I can't argue with 95 sacks from a defensive tackle like that's impressive and to me just seeing that alone that's good enough to get you in the hall of fame if you know Geno Atkins is going to be up for debate here soon, and people are going to vote for him, and I think he has just as I, I, I would vote for McMichael and Geno Atkins. Yeah, um, they're similar. It's hard. Yeah, and interior defensive linemen are tough because, like, outside of like, unless you know what you're watching with the run game, you don't necessarily know like you don't necessarily know what you're looking at. But he was yeah. he was a disruptive defensive player. Um, but I want to go into my ballot and then I'll let you do yes. yours. So I did uh I did my five. Uh my five were Julius Peppers. Yep. Patrick Willis. Okay. Jared Allen. Oh. Jari Evans. Yeah, yeah, wow. And Antonio Gates. Those were my five current players. I also gave a yes for Gratishar, Steve McMichael, 
and then we'll finish up the podcast. We'll talk about Buddy Parker for a second. But okay. I gave those three yeses because the senior category and the contributors are just yes or no's. Uh, while the current era is you vote for the five. Yes. Peppers, Patrick Willis, Jared Allen, Jari Evans, and Antonio Gates. How about you? So um, I'm with you on the yes for the senior guys. And then my five that I picked were um, now it's a little bit offensive heavy. Okay. I went with Pep. I think Patrick Willis is totally deserving, but he wasn't one of my five because, like I said, I went very offense okay. heavy. Okay. Darren Woodson is the only other defender that I have. Huh. I think he's very deserving. Interesting. And then my three offensive players are one of them the same as you, Antonio Gates, who I think I actually he he desperately deserved to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, I think I think that was a travesty that he didn't get in this year. That's why I don't understand why they only did seven. I don't know why they didn't do nine. There was a few guys very deserving. Because then the current era, they can only do five, right? Oh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So I think oh. it just for the senior category, they just only had two that they were voting on. Okay. So that's what it is. And then I went with Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne. Um, especially Reggie Wayne, I think was very deserving of making the Hall of Fame. We talked about Reggie Wayne a lot during our first episode when we discussed the 2003 AFC Championship. I think Reggie has all the accolades that you would ever want a receiver to have. Um, in fact, <clears throat> I think Andre Johnson of the receivers who did now, um, he does he is part of that 70 touchdown uh, what was it? 1000 yard and 14,000 or 1000 catch 14,000 yard, um, stat you brought up earlier. Right. Yeah. But in though, in that, um, I think Reggie Wayne was in there. Uh, I think he deserved to make it, uh, over Andre Johnson. I think Andre Johnson should see the hall of fame at some point, but I wouldn't have put him in over Reggie Wayne. And I think Tory hold has waited a long time. I think he deserves to get into yeah, and I'll go over why I think Jared Allen is actually oh, yeah. more deserving. I think he's more deserving than Dwight Freeney. And most people would disagree with me on that, but I've seen Jared Allen play a lot of football. Um, yes. being, being a Green Bay fan, you've been the same, like NFC yep. North guy. Hard to argue against four-time first-team All-Pro he had eight 10-plus sack seasons. In 2011, he had a 22-sack season, which would have been the record at the time, if not for Favre giving a bullshit record <laughs> to Michael Strahan. Let's be honest. I'll like, never forget that. Like, Jared Allen had a legitimate record. He literally went into the fetal position. It's been broken since, but, I mean, because I think it was at T.J. Watt broke it. But, uh, yeah. He was also just an amazing character. Like, you either loved Jared Allen, like if you were a Viking fan or even a Chiefs fan, like you loved Jared Allen. But if you were like going up against him and he was wrecking your offense, mm -hmm. you freaking hate that guy. Yeah. Like, and because he would do the the cowboy stir up, like, and oh, oh man, but what a great <laughs> celebration. Like, it was a great celebration. 
Remember when he did that when he got a safety on Rodgers on Monday yeah. Night Football? And like, yeah. the Metrodome that night was one of the loudest stadiums I've ever heard. They were rocking, and he was feeding off the crowd that night. Yeah, and my favorite uh, Jared Allen moment was when he's basically laughing at Dan Orlowski for running <laughs> out of the back of the end zone. Like, everybody everybody like makes fun of Orlowski for, for running out of the back of the end zone. But the funniest part of it is Jared Allen's literally like, literally doing, going like oh, my God, I can't believe <laughs> yeah. he did it. Like, and he was such a great pass rusher and so intimidating, like that a professional quarterback ran out of the back of the end zone. Yeah, like he had that type of presence. To me, I I think he was a better player than Dwight Freeney, and that's why I picked him over. I I think Dwight Freeney is has a Hall of Fame resume too. But if I had to pick five, I'm picking Jared Allen over Freeney. Jari Evans, you got to show love to offensive line. Yeah, they they are un under recognized. And right. and I didn't have one of them. I I probably deserve to put somebody like yeah. that in there. It it's really hard to argue about interior linemen though, because you know there's not really any stats to go off of outside of all pro teams and Super Bowls and like postseason success. Yeah, Jari have he had that. He won a Super Bowl with the '09 Saints, and he was a four time first team All Pro. Yeah. That to me is enough to get you in. But he was also on a Saints team. He came in out of Bloomsburg College, so he was a Division II player. But he comes in. He comes in. I think he was undrafted as well. He comes in in 06. so he's right there at the very beginning of the resurrection of the Saints franchise. To me, he's just as vital of a player in that era as people that remember Marquez Colston. Reggie Bush, like that, that th those players, the, the supporting players, he's probably more valuable, honestly, because he was, uh, this team was such a big screen team through the Sean Payton era. Think about how many screen passes they ran. I mean, even with Kamara later on, Jari Evans didn't play with Kamara, but yeah, he had Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, Pierre Thomas. Yep. You can't have that without the right guards being in the right spot making the blocks downfield and, and, and playing within timing and, and executing. And Jari Evans was always there. He's, I think he's a deserving vote. And the, what I worry about with him a little bit is that he's going to get forgotten about because in future classes, we're about to see Brady, Ronk, Drew Brees, Antonio Brown, Eli, Larry Fitzgerald, JJ Watt. They're all yeah. coming. And those guys are going to all get in. Like, yeah, that I'm always worried. makes me upset when I think about that stuff, you know? Yeah, because I think Jari Evans is just going to kind of get forgotten about. Uh, so th that's to me, and I always thought he was he was the best guard in football for like a five or six year period. If you want to compare a player that's still playing right now, think of Zach Martin. And Zach Martin will get in the Hall of yeah. Fame because he's a cowboy. But Jari Evans is every bit as deserving and was every bit as good as that. Yeah. And then uh, you and I both agree on Antonio Gates. Uh, yeah. A, a true, like I said, a true travesty that he didn't make the Hall of Fame. I don't really know what held him out. Um, I mean, the Hall of Fame even voted him. I know it's not the Hall of Fame isn't the one who puts somebody in. Um, 
but he's on the Hall of Fame All Two Thousands team. Yeah, eight Pro Bowls, three All Pros. Um, in terms yeah. of the Hall of Fame meter, he's right up there with Tony Gonzalez. He's right up there with Gronk. Um, that's. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, he's going yeah. to get in, but he won. He won four straight first team All Pros from '04 to '07. Tony Gonzalez was still playing at that point. He, yeah. Tony Gonzalez, I think his last year was 2012. So, yeah, there was really, to me, looking at his resume, he, there was really no reason to keep Antonio Gates out. I didn't understand that. Yeah, um, and I, think I that's I, the most surprising. Yeah, and the guys that, and I'll just kind of finish up here, and I'll let you kind of have your closing thoughts after this. I just want to kind of go down the list of all of these players that were on here. Um, Guys I left off who I think are very deserving, but I just didn't have them in my top five. Devin Hester, White Freeney, Andre Johnson, and Darren Woodson. I think they're Hall of Famers. I just didn't have them ranked in the top five of my ballot. Guys I'm not sure on, Reggie Wayne, Rodney Harrison, and Willie Anderson. Those are the guys that, like, because I, I looked more into Reggie Wayne's, like, total profile. The problem that I have is it's very like it's kind of with Steve Smith and Tory Holt. So if you let Reggie Wayne yeah. in, you have to start making arguments for Tory Holt and Steve Smith, who aren't yeah. even really getting considered very much. Uh, and then uh, they don't necessarily have the all pro selections either. And I really look at that because an all pro selection is so important. Yeah. Uh, because it's similar it shows... people that are voting for the all pro. Yeah. Yeah, it's consistent with that. And then number two, like we're gauging, were you the best player at your position at any given time? Because if you're not getting a lot of first team all pros, you were never really the best at your position. And to me, the Hall of Fame should be a very exclusive club of the mm -hmm. best of the best players. Like I love the I love a lot of football players in turn like loved watching them. But these guys, I don't necessarily see as Hall of Famers. I think like they're the Hall of Very Good. Like they were awesome, had maybe one or two All Pro seasons, but I don't think they have the resumes. Eric Allen, Tory Holt, and Fred Taylor, and especially Fred Taylor. Oh God, Fred Taylor! Because yeah, I I, I like Fred Taylor. I thought he was a really good player for Jacksonville. And Not even close to being no. a Hall of Famer. No, because if. Uh, and yeah. if yeah, if you vote for Fred Taylor, then you need to put Sean Alexander, Priest yeah. Holmes, Jamal Lewis, and every good running back, halfway good running back of yeah. the 2000s. Um, I, yeah, he, I didn't understand. I, I saw a couple people, like a, a few people on Twitter saying, well, I thought Fred Taylor should have gotten in. And I was like... That's because they remember him. I, I had to like think for a second. I was like, wait, was he better than I actually thought? And he wasn't. No, he, he was really better than I thought. What he had going for him is he played for a long time. He had like 13 year career, which is really a long career for a running back. Um, yeah. So he had that going for him. But I, like I said, I mean, you're, you'd have to make a case for a guy like I'd rather look at Jamal Lewis, Sean Alexander, Priest Holmes, guys that had shorter primes, but were the best players at, at the, at the given time. Yeah. Like, Sean Alexander, especially. I mean, just he had more career touchdowns. Priest Holmes, especially. He had a, his three year run from 2001 to 2003 was insane. But I think 
Sean Alexander, I think, only played eight years and yeah. had more career touchdowns than Fred Taylor, who played 13. Yeah. So, like, that's what I'm saying. And Sean Alexander's not getting in. So, yep. that was my my thing. Really, Torrey Holt, like, kind of borderline. But the problem is, like, there's a lot of really good receivers. And especially as these, like, Devontae Adams-type players come in, and Cooper Cup, they start to retire. Yeah. Like, yeah there's, like, a slippery slope clause, yeah, I think. Like, yeah. I mean, Hall of Fame receivers, like, that you have to be, like, Andre Johnson level good for like 10 seasons and Tory Hulk. He didn't quite do that. He was really good. Um, you know, I think it, I think if you want to honor the greatest show on turf, maybe you take that angle. That was but kind of have, what I was thinking with Tory. Yeah. You, you already have Kurt Warner. You already have Falk. Is Bruce in too? And Orlando Pace. And Orlando. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. That's just those. That's kind of how I, how I looked at my ballot and kind of, they're all really, really good players and many of them great, but that's kind of how I would, if I had a vote, that's how I would look at it. Yeah, that's fair. But you? No, I, I, I would be, I, I get that. Um, I, well, you have to have conviction no matter what. Um, I, I definitely do see the slippery slope clause. Um, and Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne, um, I probably got a little bit more immersed in the whole hall of fame meter thing. Um, and, and, and maybe some different memories I had of them, but even looking back on Reggie Wayne, um, Reggie Wayne was somebody that when we were talking about the 2003 AFC championship, when we were doing our prep for that, um, that was actually the name that first clicked in my head that time as uh, I, you know, this is a guy I think might, you know, have a good case at making the Hall of Fame. And um, that's kind of why I was like, oh, you know, if I had the option, I think I'd put him in. He had a really high, he had the fourth highest weighted approximate value of this entire finalist class. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's also why they're senior finalists. You never know the uh, uh, the likes of Reggie Wayne get in one day. Um, you know, in 10, 15 years, anybody, the way I always look at the hall of fame is there's, I think obviously there's guys that get snubbed every year and there's guys that get left off the list for a long time. But if you deserve to be there, eventually you're going to get there. Like, it's just a matter of time. Thanks for listening to the Old Souls Football Podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe.